Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Mark chapter 5. And let's uh, hear God's word. Mark 5, 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Uh, Excuse me, and begged them earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbered about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they begged And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray that you would grant to us the ministry of your Holy Spirit so that we might hear the voice of our Savior Himself. That we that He might come to us in His Holy Word, opening our hearts and our minds, changing our lives for His glory. Lord, we ask this in Your name. Amen. Have you ever had one of those weeks where you went from one difficult circumstance to another, to another, to another, and to another. And by the end of the week, you're just exhausted. I mean, just frazzled. Well, if you do, then you probably have a little bit of 
empathy this morning for what Jesus and the disciples were going through. Uh, if I might just take a bit and we might slow down and sort of put ourselves into those shoes. We weren't there, but from the things we read in Scripture, we sort of get a sense of what they were going through. Jesus had been preaching and he had been teaching uh, all the day. And as a matter of fact, um, the disciples had, you know, all the, had gotten all the people to sit down on the seashore. And there were so many people and they were pressing around Jesus. And he got into a boat and he went out a little ways and he began to teach and to preach. And you know what? Preaching is exhilarating, I have to say. But it is also very exhausting. Um, I, I heard a story this week of a pastor who decided he wanted to be more careful about his health. And so he got one of these watches, you know, Apple watches or whatever that would, you know, gauge your heartbeat and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things he noticed is, is that when he was preaching, his, his watch showed him that his heart rate was at aerobic level. You know, he was like working out as he was preaching. And that helped me to understand why I go home and I crash after I preach on Sunday morning oftentimes because it is so exhausting. And so you can understand why Jesus fell asleep in the boat as he told his disciples to go across the sea. But here the disciples are, they're, they're out in this boat and they're going across the sea and all of a sudden this storm comes. And, and you know, we talked about that last week and just the intensity of that storm and how the waves were coming into the boat. So you can just imagine these men bailing this water, trying to fight to get out of this storm and try to survive and just how physically exhausted they were. But, but also they woke Jesus up and said, Master, don't you care that we're going to perish? So they were thinking, we're going to die. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm fearful, whenever I'm worried, whenever I'm struggling in, in my life and there is great anxiety, that is very exhausting. And so here are these men that are physically exhausted, they're emotionally and mentally exhausted. And Jesus gets up, doesn't even have to roll up his sleeves, no effort. He just says, calm, be calm. And the wind stopped. Now, by this time, commentators often believe that it's nighttime. And some even believe it might be the middle of the night. Now, stick with me if I press on further. I'm trying not to go beyond what scripture tells us. But they're out in the lake, and they're going across to the other side where Jesus told them to go, and it's now calm. But they are tired, they are exhausted, and you know you have the waves that are lapping up probably against the boat. You can see your reflection in the water. Things are quiet, okay? And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been on a lake, you notice that the sound travels so much more when you're on a lake. And they're out in the middle of the lake and they're going across. And then all of a sudden, they began to hear this man howling. He's shrieking. He's crying out. And as, as they're going across the lake, they get closer to the shore. And they realize that this sound is coming from the place that they are going. And, and some commentators even believe that the shriek that, that, is, uh, that is happening is is like that of an animal and so they get out of the boat uh, and they come to the shore and that's where we pick up our passage today and as we look at the text today we're going to look at five things now some of these are real short some are real long so you know uh, just keep that in mind we're going to look at the man the meeting the miracle 
the madness and the messenger. The man, the meeting, the miracle, the madness, and the messenger. So let's first of all look at the man. As I said, they came to the other side of the sea, it says in verse 1, to the country of the um, Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So here Jesus is and the disciples, they have already gone through the, all of this of teaching, they've gone through the storm, and immediately now they have a new confrontation that meets them, this man. And believe it or not, while Jesus had cast out demons before, there's never really any encounter like this one, at least up to this point in time, in Mark's gospel. This is much more intense and much different. And notice how Mark describes this poor man. Three times he says that he's, he's been in the tombs. In verse 2, and then in verse 3, he talks about how he lives in the tombs. Verse 5, he says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out. That's where I get this idea that as they were crossing the, the lake, that most likely they heard him crying out. And Mark tells us that he has an unclean spirit in verse 2. Now, to a Jew, the word unclean had special meaning. The, the Torah said that you know dead bodies and tombs made a person ritually unclean, and they could in turn make others unclean by their touch. Now, it's probably noteworthy to mention that this is Gentile territory, though, the Decapolis, and that's why you have pig farms. You probably don't have too many pig farms in a Jewish community, right? Because they were considered unclean. They were not kosher. So this is an unclean land populated by unclean people who eat unclean food. And, and here's this demon-possessed man who is the very embodiment and example of that kind of uncleanness. And somehow he's come to be dominated by evil spirits. And in verses 3 and 4, we see that even though the townspeople had attempted to restrain him, and doubtless that probably only added to his suffering, uh, he has been endowed with supernatural strength, and he couldn't be bound. And so he was left to himself completely abandoned. His only companions are the numerous demons that possess him, and his only shelter are the tombs carved into the rocks, wandering in the wasteland on the mountaintops, wailing in agony and despair. Do you get the picture here of what this man is encountering? And, and notice in verse 5 that Mark says that he's always crying and cutting himself. Now, when people we meet who cut themselves, you know, I, excuse me, let me say it again. When we meet people who cut themselves, that's not really necessarily in this day and time, unfortunately, an uncommon thing. But when we do meet people like that, oftentimes there's a cry for help there. There's a note of desperation, a sense of urgency, of, of some pain that needs to find expression and release. And maybe that's what's going on here with this man. Or, or it could be perhaps that the evil spirits are trying to get the man to end his own life. We don't know exactly why he is cutting himself, but either way, there's a startling picture of human misery and alienation. He's all alone and he's suffering and he's overcome and dominated by evil power. Now, brothers and sisters, I hope this morning that your hearts are tender. And so as you hear this story, I hope that you empathize with this man and his suffering. He's just a shell of a man, a shadow of his previous self. And the reason I say that is because, you know, we are surrounded by people all day long who are people that struggle with these things. 
People who are suffering, people who are, going, who are weary, people who are going through difficulties. And honestly, if we really think about it, we are such people ourselves as well. And so here's this man, he's naked, and, and I say he's naked because if you look at verse 15, Mark actually makes the point after Jesus addresses this man to, to mention that he's now clothed and in his right mind. So he's naked, he's bloodied because he's been cutting himself with stones. And uh, last week we looked at the storm that was raging on the outside of the sea. But this week we see this man that has a storm raging on the inside. And, and he runs up to Jesus and his disciples as they come to the shore. Now can you imagine that at nighttime? Just picture this. You're in this boat, you come up on the shore, you get out, and this wild crazy man comes running at you. Now, it would be interesting to see what the disciples did. I, yeah, that would be interesting to be there, wouldn't it? But anyway, uh, before we continue, I want us just to think about this a minute. You know, earlier I mentioned that all of us are like this man to some degree. I think for some of us, it may be hard to, to relate to a demon-possessed man because we... Uh, because our struggles are not as dramatic as his. But if we stop and we think about it and are honest, every single person can relate to this man in some ways. Oftentimes it's just more subtle than what we see in this passage. I mean, for example, have you ever felt like someone has given up on you? Anybody? A parent? A teacher? A neighbor? A sibling? Anybody? Have you ever had someone who loved you who then just wrote you off? Have you ever felt isolated or ever felt lonely in your life? Maybe like this man, maybe you can't sleep at night. Maybe you so weighed down with anxiety and guilt and shame that you can't sleep. And some nights you are literally crying yourself to sleep. Maybe like this man, you've been tormented. Maybe you're addicted to something and it feels like that's such a part of the fabric of who you are that you couldn't think about living without it. And it feels like death to you as you are addicted to this thing, whatever it may be. Or maybe you're filled with self-hatred, so much so that you inflict pain upon yourself. Maybe you don't allow yourself to eat. Maybe you starve your body in order to get yourself to look a certain way. Or maybe like this man, you're filled with inner chaos and you're filled with fear and worry and rage. Sometimes it seems like those things are controlling you more than anything else and you can't shut it off no matter how hard you try. And, and as we consider this passage, I, I want you to ask yourself, what do you bring into this room this morning with you? What are you wrestling with? What, what is tormenting you? What is consuming your thoughts? Maybe much like the dark clouds that cover the sun. What dark thoughts are keeping you from seeing the blessings of God in your lives? You see, we're, we're closer to this man than we initially think we are. Because this man is a picture of mankind apart from the grace of God. And, and if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, that the same power that was at work in this man's soul is the very power that is at work in your life today. I know that because Ephesians 2 talks about that and says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons 
of disobedience. And so that's the same power that worked in you. And Satan has only one rule for your life. Please yourself. Do whatever you want. Whatever satisfies you. What you think might think, well, that doesn't sound so bad, Pastor Rick. I can live with that. But what Satan doesn't tell you is the outcome of a life like that. An outcome of the life of service to him. The isolation and the pain and the emptiness and the bitterness towards others. The destructive thoughts or the, the torment of your soul. And whether you're a believer or not, understand that what we see here in this man's life is Satan's end game. Where Satan wants to take all of us. What Satan did to this man, he wants to do to you today. Whether you're a believer or whether you are an unbeliever. Never forget this man's face. Never forget the description of what you see of this man. You see, the devil's temptations seem so credible at the time that we are being tempted. Just a little bit of pornography. Just a little bit of lying. Just a little bit of gossip. Just a little bit of stealing. You know, what will that hurt? You know, doesn't the devil tell you, hey, just walk with me a little bit. You can always stop whenever you want. You see, this man is a picture of what the devil really wants to do to you. The devil wants to leave you empty and filthy. He wants to suck your soul dry of all that is life, all that is decent, all of self-control, until there is nothing left of value. Nothing left to treasure. Nothing left to enjoy but the blackness of darkness forever. And so the next time you hear the devil's voice, I want you to remember this man. The devil will come to you and pretend to be your friend. Just like he did with Eve. He came to Eve and he promised that she would be like God. But that's not really what Satan wanted for Eve or for Adam himself. As a matter of fact, actually... The graveyards that we have in our country, the cancer wards, the orphanages, and the old people's homes of our land speak much more of the eloquent, uh, uh, speak more eloquently of the devil's real end game that he wants. That's what he wants for us: death, sickness, isolation, uh, all of those things. The devil knows that his days are numbered, and he is under God's judgment, and so he wants to take us down with him to the place where he will be a place where there is friendlessness and hopelessness and lifelessness forever and so remember when the devil tempts you he is wanting to waste your soul and so take a long hard look at your life and the temptations that assault you and ask yourself is that what you want for your destiny if your answer is no then you need to be serious about putting to putting sin to death because sin will either kill you or you will kill it. There's no middle ground for the life of the believer. And, and if we're honest, we will see, brothers and sisters, that we are like that man. We are a mess. But friends, Jesus is not afraid of your mess. Jesus is not afraid of your brokenness or your sin. He doesn't matter how ugly or sick or disgusting or entrenched in sin you might be in your heart. Jesus doesn't run away from you. He runs towards you. And that brings us to our second point, the meeting in verse 2. You see, in Jesus there is hope. He is the king who announces the coming of his kingdom and the power of his rule over those things who will to come. 
Look at verse 2. He says that when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, that word met, we quickly could just skip right by. It, it could be referring to two friends meeting, but also it refers to a hostile meeting, like between two armies on a battlefield, much like David and Goliath as they, you know, sort of stood up against one another. We have here in this passage, the prince of darkness meets the son of heaven, the captain of salvation, and the demon-possessed man being so strong that no one can bind him. I mean, he snapped his chains, kids, like Hercules. It was just like breaking twigs. It wasn't hard at all. And yet, when the forces of darkness and the forces of light meet, what does the man do? Do you see, kids? He fell down at Jesus' feet. And when he saw Jesus from afar, verse 6, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. You see, this, this reminds me of the account when the Philistines came and they captured the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember that? And they took it back to their hometown and they took it into their temple uh, to their god Dagon and they put the Ark of the Temple there before Dagon and then they left and when they came back in the morning what happened kids remember Dagon was face down before the Ark of the Covenant to show the greatness of our God and that's what we see here is as this man comes and he meets Jesus Jesus not only moves towards us in our sin and pursues us but in his pursuit he is the victorious king and I hope you see that in your struggle brothers and sisters with sin that Jesus squares off with evil because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And Jesus comes to us in our bondage to sin to confront the evil that seeks to master and dominate and destroy us. See, you can never be too bad for Jesus or too far beyond his power to reach and to deliver you. And so that's the meeting. But then after that comes the miracle. Jesus doesn't just stop there, but he goes on. And, and what you have to notice here in these next verses is the difference between the way that Jesus found the man and the way that Jesus left the man. You know, the man is a wretched mess, but Jesus speaks to the demon in verse, verse 8, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, a Roman legion is probably what they're making reference here too and a Roman legion was about 6,000 foot soldiers with about 120 horsemen as well as technical personnel so there were thousands of people in a legion and it probably isn't that he's using that term so much as in a technical term to talk about the precise number as much as simply to give an indication of how utterly overwhelmed this man was by unclean spirits or demons his personality and psyche has had uh, come under that kind of influence and, and occupation uh, in his life. And so the demons, seeing the greatness of Jesus, uh, begged him, please don't cast us out, don't send us out into the country, but put us into these 2,000 pigs. And so Jesus grants their wish, and the, the demons leave the man, they go into the pigs, they run down the hillside and jump into the sea, and, and they're killed. Now, you might wonder, why pigs? Why pigs? 
Well, it's, it's really a tangible picture of judgment and of freedom. Uh, the man is set free and the powers of evil are destroyed. Uncleanness, like sin itself, is thrown into the depths of the sea. It sort of brings to mind Micah chapter 7, verse 19, that says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer, that's exactly where your sins are. They have been cast into the sea. Our sin is gone. Believer in Jesus, your sin, your guilt is gone. Now that Jesus has come, evil is overthrown. And Satan and his servants have been defeated. We read in verse 14 that the herdsmen then took off went into the city, went into the countryside, and told the people. And all of the people came to see what had happened. And we read in verse 15, when the crowds came, that they find the man who had been legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Now, to be in your right mind is the idea of a person being controlled by right reason, who now has the strength to do what they know is right, even when they're tempted to do what's wrong. This man was controlled by these evil spirits, that was, you know, his nature. But Christ has set him free so that he now could be in his right mind. So this man is free. The bondage has been broken. And this man is a picture of the grace that God has given to him. And what a remarkable change between who he was when he was naked and cutting himself and wandering and wailing in agony and despair amongst the tombs. He was unclean. The example of our alienation from God, a man, and now, after his encounter with Jesus, he's clothed. He's, he's sitting in his right mind, restored at, at last. And Jesus has set the man free from Satan's rule. And that's what this text is about, the, the freedom that Christ gives us, that Christ sets the prisoner free. He can set you free this morning if you will come running to him to call upon him. You know, sometimes Jesus gives deliverance in in the moment maybe you've heard stories of this where somebody's an alcoholic and they come to faith in jesus and after that they no longer desire alcohol just like that god takes the desire away and he sets them free but other times and i would say more common uh, jesus requires much fighting much toiling and sweating and praying and crying out and resisting of the devil to be set free uh, what does James say? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. And do what? Resist. You see the effort there? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, resisting can be painful. It can oftentimes be a long fight. But by God's grace this morning, i got to ask you, are you fighting your sin? Are you fighting your sin? Because Jesus says in Matthew 5, Basically, if I could summarize it this way, lose your lust or lose your soul. Lose your lust or lose your soul. If your right eye causes you to, to sin, if it offends you, or if your right hand offends you or causes you to sin, which is interesting, the eyes and the hands seem to be the parts of the body that we sin with, right? He says, get rid of them. And of course, while Jesus is not speaking literally, and preachers always try to make that point, right? Like they're trying to protect God from what he said. I think we've got to be careful not to do that too much. I mean, he is not speaking literally, but listen to this. He is speaking radically. 
He is speaking radically. He is saying, take any measure necessary to fight against the remaining sin in you. He said, it's better to go to heaven with no internet than to go to hell with 100 gigabytes of download speed. Whatever you need to do to resist the devil, you have to win the fight. I know one of the things that I've always told my kids, and now that my kids are grown, now I'm telling my grandkids, whenever I have a confrontation with my grandkids and I'm correcting them for something that they've done and they don't want to be corrected and they want to continue in their sin, but Papa is getting in their way and they're not liking that too much and maybe that expresses itself in the form of a temper tantrum or maybe a brow that's sort of rebellious or whatever it might be. I always tell them, I said, you know, you can fight me, but Papa's always going to win. And then I go and I tell them, I said, because I love you too much not to win. I'm going to stand against your sin and I'm going to help you with this because I love you. Well, you know, it's one thing to stand and to help another against their sin, but it's quite another to resist your own sin to that point. But that's what Jesus calls us to do. And Jesus says in Mark 5 that we are not in this fight all alone. He says, call upon me and I will deliver you. Just like Jesus did before that demon-possessed man and he casts out those demons, Jesus can stand before you and help you in the midst of the battle as you resist the devil. Kevin DeYoung uh, wrote this on Facebook this week. He said, God is not interested in making us feel miserable for our sin for the rest of our lives. He's interested in us turning away from our sin and turning to Him. Now maybe you're here this morning and you realize that sin is your master. If so, Jesus is calling you to turn to Him. He's a much better master. Jesus says, I can break the power of canceled sin. Turn to me and I will take your sins away. And then finally, or not finally, but next we see the madness. After Jesus is setting this man free, he does this great miracle. Then notice that the crowds come back and in verses 16 and 17 it says, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their regions. Now, Sinclair Ferguson points out, he said, you know, you would think that this man is wreaking havoc, right, all over the community. You know, he's, he's bound by change. There's probably a reason they were doing that. He's up in the mountains howling like a wild animal. He's living amongst the tombs. You've got to know that that would affect the community at large. And so you would think that as they see this man sitting there healed, restored in his right mind, that they might want to throw a party, that they might want to, to celebrate that. But that's not what happens if you look at this passage. They're not happy about it. In fact, they're very upset at Jesus and what has transpired here. And so they ask him to leave. They don't really want Jesus around. You know, for sure, the demon-possessed man had caused him all sorts of grief, I'm sure. But you can see that they seem to be even more afraid of this man now that he has been restored than when he was alienated and he's broken. And honestly, they're even more afraid of the one who rescued him. Because when Jesus sets us free, he calls us to walk in freedom, serving him. And when Jesus does that, brothers and sisters, he oftentimes shakes up the status quo. 
I mean, you know, he took demons and he cast them into 2,000 pigs. And, and while we oftentimes want to be set free from our sin, people don't always want Jesus himself. Because Jesus demands too much. These people didn't like the cost of following Jesus. Jesus came and 2,000 pigs died. They valued their pigs more than the saving power of the Son of God. And they were uh, frightened when they really met God. They wanted Him out of their region and out of their lives. And brothers and sisters, we can have that same temptation that we want a safe religion. You know, we don't want to view God for, for who He is. Maybe we will obey God to a certain point, but beyond that where He's asking real sacrifice, where He's asking us to go to places that we don't understand, but that our reason tells us that we don't want to go, uh, that we sometimes might wrestle with that. You know, it's a bit the way that C.S. Lewis describes Aslan, the great lion. Remember when Lucy asked, what did she ask? Is he a tame lion? And what was the answer that, that she got? Of course not. He's not a tame lion. But sometimes, don't we oftentimes look at God that way? That He is a tame God. And I'll tell you what, I, I see that in my own heart, in my own life, when I read things in, in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, that I think, really God, you did that? And, and, and it just is beyond me, and I don't always understand, because His ways are much higher than my ways, and I don't always understand those things. But sometimes I want God to be nice and neat, and in a package, and in a box, and in a way that I can explain Him. But sometimes God works in ways that go beyond uh, what I understand. And you can be here this morning, and you can seek to avoid Jesus all you want, but the reality is, is He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And one day, every person will stand before Him and give account of their lives to Him. And when you stand before Him, uh, do you want to stand before Him as your Savior? Or as your judge. There's no refuge from the Son. There is only refuge in the Son. And so blessed is the man who comes and takes refuge in Him. And so finally we come to the messenger. In verses 19 through 20. You know while the crowds are begging Jesus to go away. This man actually is begging to go with Jesus. There's a desire of the heart of this man to be with Jesus. And that's the desire of every new believer, is it not? To want to be with Jesus. And one of the marks that grace has broken into your life and has set you free is that you want nothing so much as to be with Jesus. That's when you see the real work of grace in your heart, when you want to be with Jesus. So let me ask you this morning, do you want to be with Jesus? Do you enjoy being with Him? Do you enjoy being in His Word and under His Word? Do you enjoy His presence in prayer? Do you enjoy singing praises to Him and worshiping Him? Does the thought of heaven excite you? Not because of what you get in heaven, because, but because of who is in heaven. That you long to be there, to be with Jesus. This is the true test of saving religion. And this man has it. But the question is, is, do we have that this morning? Well, look at verse 19. Notice Jesus won't permit him to join his group, but he instead tells the man, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has, been, has had mercy on you. And so the man does. The man had a testimony to share, and Jesus told him to go and to share it. 
And I wonder, does that describe you this morning? Or have you forgotten what Christ has done for you? Have you forgotten the appalling cost of mercy to Christ and the wonderful gift that He has given to you? Brothers and sisters, God forgive us that we are not hungrier to share the gospel with other people. We need, I think, at times to ask God to make Him our first love once again. You remember how John wrote to the church of Laodicea and he said, you have forgotten your first love. And then he said, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. You see, our problem is not that we don't love Christ. Our problem is, is that we don't love Christ solely. That, that He is our first and our only love. You see, we have lots of interests and lots of loves that distract us from Christ and being with Him. But as we are reminded that we are like the demon-possessed man, alienated, naked, wounded, living amongst the tombs and the dead bodies, and we recount the miracle of salvation we received as the king squared off with Satan at the cross. And at the cross, like legion, Jesus is naked and crying out. Like legion, Jesus is abandoned and lonely. His friends and his followers have deserted him. Even his own father has deserted him. And like legion, Jesus gets cut open and is bleeding on the cross. Like legion, Jesus ends up outside the city amongst the tombs that we might be free brothers and sisters that we might free to share the testimony with a lost and a dying world let's bow our heads and meditate upon God's word this morning Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful picture of the way that you work in our lives. Father, uh, what we looked like before we came to faith in you. And yet, Father, even now as we have come to faith in you, we can be tempted by Satan to want to be sanctified in our own works and in, in our own strength. Or maybe, Lord, we're, we're too casual about our dealings with the sin that we have been set free from and we have held it too close and we need to be about putting to death the sin in our lives oh we come to you lord jesus maybe we have worried maybe we're being filled with worry and fret whatever it may be we come to you lord jesus as the king who is able 
to set us free to, to address and deal with the matters of our hearts that we might once again walk in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to reflect upon the wonderful grace of Jesus in our lives. That we might that we might worship you, Lord, and God, that we might share that wonderful message with others that we come in contact with. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.